Amen. Good morning, everyone. Sorry, just give me one second. I'm going to get my setup here. Okay, welcome to Reach Montreal. We're so glad to have you here today. Uh, we're going to be continuing in Mark, and as Pastor Dustin, Pastor Dustin was saying, uh, it's, uh, it's been about a year and a half in it, and we're almost there. We're just about at the end. Uh, today we're going to be talking, uh, really, uh, it's, it's more or less, it's, it's Good Friday, right? Uh, although we're going to be celebrating Good Friday next week, but this week we're going to be looking at, at Mark 15, and this is the passage in which Jesus faces trial and he's crucified. So just to kind of give a, a little bit of a summary <clears throat> in Mark 14. So last week, Pastor Dustin was preaching about the, um, I don't know if you remember, it's uh, Mary uh, and the alabaster jar, uh, the anointing of Jesus in, in, in preparation even for what's about to happen next. There's also the dispute among the disciples about the, uh, what to do with that uh, alabaster jar that maybe it would have been better off to sell, to take it, sell it, and give it to the poor. But Jesus calls them out for their ingenuine concern, actually. Or the scriptures tell us that. And so Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He's turned over to the chief priests and the Sanhedrin. And so now in Mark 15, we're in this, uh, it begins with the scene where Jesus is facing trial and he's standing before Pilate. See, it's a, it's a big passage, right? It's always a challenge when you have an entire chapter to preach. It's almost like you don't know which section to, to focus on because there is a wealth of information here. I have to say in, in, in my studies this week, uh, there's so much that I had not noticed previously as I was looking through Mark 15. And there was a lot of things that caught my eye. But we're going to focus on, on some verses. So I'll just start by reading in Mark 15, uh, verse 22 to 39. So this is, this is where we're going to read from Mark today. And so this is, this is after the trial, right? Uh, before Pontius Pilate. And so in Mark 22, verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. So just a little bit of an interesting thing that I came across this week. So that on the, the Roman cross, so you, you had at, at the top of the cross would have, uh, would be, you know, that's where you would write basically what the, the charge against them was. So that's why there's this charge. That's the charge that's brought before Pilate for the reason for why Jesus is dying. And it says, King of the Jews. So that's on the Roman cross. That's where the charge against you would be displayed so that everyone could see. To those who passed by, they were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. 
I think that's one of the things just this week that even as I was going through this is just how cruel they actually are with Jesus. There's so much, like, like I've, I've read this passage so many times, you know, like I go through it, I read it, I speed, I speed read it, but I never noticed just how intentional they were into just make Jesus suffer. Uh, the crowd really is ruthless, and we'll see a little bit more of it as we go on. And so when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until, until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. So I'm gonna have, someone's going to come up to me later and tell me how to say this correctly. Uh, I practice, but right now everything is forgotten. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Not bad? No? It's okay? <laughs> Which translates, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled the sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, and offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes, comes to take him down. This is really interesting, actually, and as I was going through the commentaries as well, this, this offering of a sponge filled with sour wine, it would almost be overwhelming to try and hyperlink back to all the Psalms, Right? Like all of the, the parts of the Old Testament that Jesus is fulfilling. Um, but, but this is actually interpreted and seen as something hostile as well to Jesus. That, that some of the commentaries were saying that, that even this, this mixture, it could have either, uh, <laughs> they're debating on whether it could help maybe prolong his death so that they can see him suffer more. Or that even that the sour wine and vinegar would end up in his wounds and cause him more pain. And, and what's really interesting is that I always wondered why, why, is, why are they talking about Elijah here? But in, in, in what, when Jesus was saying, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It sounds like Eli, Eli. And so they're wondering if Jesus is going to call on Elijah. But it's in a mocking way, right? Like they've been through this whole time in this trial of, of mocking at him, spitting at him and saying, oh, look at you, Jesus. Like you did this for these people, but what about yourself? And so they're almost like, they're, they're kind of, they're looking at him and, and, and wondering if, if, if he is who he said that he is. And so, um, Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion was standing opposite him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Wow, I know I just read a lot, and we're going to unpack it. We're going to go through it. But I did want to start with some scripture, for sure, as we're going through Mark 15. But I just want to do a little bit of a hyperlink as well. You see that there's this, this centurion um, who is looking at all of this happen, right? And then he professes, and he says, truly this man was the son of God. There's something really that, that sticks out about how Jesus is going about this whole process that distinguishes him. And I don't know if you remember when we were going back in, uh, in Mark 1, right? When we started in Mark 1, it said it's like the beginning of the gospel of the Son of God, right? Of, of Jesus Christ. So this is almost like the story um, coming full circle at that point um, to see that this is something that people are recognizing and realizing. So... How to go about this sermon and even in preaching this passage. Sometimes as we come to like a Good Friday sermon, we'll get caught in a lot of uh, descriptive uh, events. We'll go through describing the whole event and even uh, 
to, to going great lengths to talk about the type of torture uh, that Jesus endured, right? Almost like the passion of the Christ. Uh, certainly, Jesus went through a lot. Um, and we could go through it and pause and reflect and to see how much suffering that he did go through, right? I was reading even this week about uh, when Jesus was flogged uh, with the whip, that there would be these like metal fragments or pieces of bone attached to it. And so when Jesus was being flogged and whipped on his back, that there would be all these gashes and that it's very likely that you can even die uh, from enduring that flogging in and of itself. So it is some gruesome stuff. Like, like the Romans are, are really good at torturing and, and, and making a statement to everyone else who tries to oppose, oppose them. But I also want to focus today instead on asking, but why? Why did Jesus have to die? You know, sometimes at this time of the year, we're, we're maybe more excited to, uh, to share our faith and to, and to evangelize. And, and even then, right, when we're talking to, uh, to people who don't believe, and if there's anyone here today, thank you for coming. We're glad that you're here. Sometimes we can just, we, we can just simply repeat things but never actually explain what it means. We can go around telling people all week, Jesus died for your sins, Jesus died for your sins, and then we reduce it to that. But there's no even elaboration to it. It's, it leaves them looking, looking at you real confused, trying to understand what that means. And sometimes we ourselves are confused. If I can be honest, every time I go through this, there's always so much that I don't understand. There's so much mystery even as to how this is the way that God saves us from our sin. That somehow God is there standing trial, right? Jesus came. He's God in the flesh. And that even as he's standing trial, everyone there is watching him because there's something, there's something different about him, just even as, as the, the, the Roman centurion exclaimed. There's something different. Like, like right at the beginning when Jesus is standing trial and uh, Pilate is asking him these questions, he, he wants Jesus to speak. He's saying, why aren't you speaking? Don't you realize that I have the power to, to, to declare you as, as free? But Jesus is there with this, this quiet demeanor, knowing that he is the Lamb of God, that he is there to take away the sin of the world, but it's like he's in control of the trial, which is a really weird thing. Like, Jesus is there, he's being trialed, everyone is coming at him with accusations, and there's this, like, quiet confidence and control from Jesus because it's like in a weird way he's actually in control of everything from from A to B A to Z right like like I was even saying I was saying that it, it would be overwhelming to go through all of the scripture that he fulfilled uh, there would be so many verses that we can go back to in the Psalms and all throughout the Old Testament but what it so but in order for us to say why was Jesus uh, why did Jesus die on the cross for us why why was he crucified we have to tell the whole story of scripture. So that's something that we can even practice this week. Um, when we are sharing with people, uh, we can encourage one another to remind each other the story of scripture. I know uh, Brandon is here today, right? We were going through biblical theology, right, uh, in that course uh, last week where, where Dwight was grilling us and saying, all right, what's the story of, of the Bible? Come on, let's go, everyone. And so this is, this is that. This is what I'm, I'm going to talk about as well. So, so why did Jesus have to die? Well, first off, we're going to look at God. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. He created us to be image bearers. And it's this royal call uh, to enjoy him forever 
and to be with him, to be in relationship with him perfectly and with those around us. And that we're supposed to enjoy God. We're, we're supposed to desire God and, and, that, and, and want to be with him forever. Sin enters the world, right? Our desires are completely reoriented. We don't want God anymore. We want to be God ourselves. God in our own eyes. We're, we, we, we take of the fruit. We, we define what's good and evil in our own eyes, right? And does that sound familiar to us even today in our, in our Western culture? right? There's so much of a prioritization on, on self-realization uh, and, and individualism and define your truth and, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. We go about living our lives as if we are the kings and queens and we are supreme, that we are God of our own lives, desperately thinking that we are in control of everything. But not only the sin really, it, it really changes the way that we even view, view God in ourselves, it, it breaks the relationship with God. It breaks the relationship vertically uh, with God, and then it breaks our relationships horizontally with each other. You see, sin is, is costly to, to our, our, our relationships. It's costly to everything. It's costly to our environment. And sin, it aims to, to dethrone God and enthrone self, it devalues God and it overvalues ourself. Because I don't know if you notice, right, as you're trying to tell people about this, this amazing story of Jesus dying on the cross, right, it's, it's, it's like the climax of our, of our faith, really. It's the climax of, of this story moving through scripture where there's all these things that have gone wrong and then you have this God who's coming here to redeem us in a radical way. You know, a lot of the times we can see about other deities and other gods and other religions about God being compassionate, God caring, God loving. But there isn't anyone like Jesus. Jesus sees our struggle and he sees the brokenness that is our own fault. And he steps in. He comes to save us. He loves us and he gives up his life. That is radically different. That isn't just love talked about. That isn't just love spoken about. That's love in action. That's love doing. And it's profound. It's profound. You know, sometimes as well we might be thinking, but, you know, that, all that sounds kind of intense, right? Like, when do I actually put myself on the throne? Like, like surely I think I'm a pretty good person. Uh, I live a quiet life. I haven't hurt anyone, I haven't stealed, I haven't killed anyone, like strange that those are the standards. But it isn't just that, right? It's, it's also the, that even in, in our whole way of thinking, we have this prioritization of ourselves. I have something here, just to paraphrase from theologian and philosopher uh, Augustine, right? Who argues that it isn't simply about uh, just doing bad things, that isn't sin in and of itself. It's not simply just breaking a moral code, but it's also loving the right things in the wrong order. Or this could even be said as disordered love. It's, and, and, and to take even from, from James uh, chapter 4, right, it's uh, verse 17, it's, it's, it's failing to do what you know you ought to do. It's apathy. Isn't that something that we all struggle with today? 
that we just have this outlook of meh in our lives, that from week to week, we're only thinking about or mostly thinking about ourselves. And I know sometimes that we can try to hide it in, in, in this phrase of, um, you know, I'm just trying to care for myself. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that isn't important, obviously, that we should care for ourselves. But the problem is, is that, that it just shows that when you look at everything that we have, your bank account, your time, your personal time, what, what you think refreshes you, it's all centered around yourself. And so loving things, this, this idea of disordered love is also dangerous. It allows us and it makes us have these idols in our lives. And many of the times we're, we're loving good, good things, good things, things that God himself have, has given to us. But the problem is, is that we love them in the wrong order. And in the same way, we can see it as if any time that we prioritize even ourselves or our careers or, or our own personal success over our relationship with God, we know that we're heading for trouble. And even at that point where we would ever think that an idea or, or, or some kind of principle per se is worth more than a person, then we're in trouble we're prioritizing the wrong things, and that's what sin has also done to us as well, is that there's this core identity issue with us. I don't know if you remember, I'll just turn to Matthew 25. This is something that I, that I came across um, today. Really, really um, convicting, really, really interesting. And it's, and it's a story, right, where, where Jesus is saying that when the Son of Man comes in glory, right, and he sits on, on his glorious throne... And when the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. It's, it's, it's quite an eye-opening passage. And I don't know if you remember what happens in this passage. But Jesus is separating these two groups. And, and, and he's saying that when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And it says, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? And, G and the king will answer, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then the ones on his left, they said the same thing. When, when, did we, when did we do this for you? When were you there? But instead Jesus says, depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Wow. So it isn't just something. So if, if, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, I didn't do anything bad, but what about what you haven't done that you should be doing? What about what God has been calling you to do for your whole life that you haven't laid down to him yet? And what about your prioritizations during the week on who that you should be caring for? 
and how that this is how your faith is lived out. That it is by doing things. That we can't get we can't get away with simply wanting to know all the right things and say all the right things at the right time and say, look, look how I can theologize all over you and then think that that is righteousness before God. Certainly, there's value in studying. We want to know who God is and we want to know who he is accurately. We want to know who he's proclaimed to be and that's why we, we go to the word of God and that's how we get to know God. That's great. But it's the same challenge, even as Pastor, Pastor Dustin was saying last week, right? That faith without works, right? You can't have it. So if you're here as well today wondering if sin is only what you've done, it's also knowing, not doing what you know you ought to do. And then for us, even as, as believers, as, as we stand here, it would be not... To live in the faith that God has called us to um, and that he is shaping us into. But now going back to Mark 15, that even in this story of this cosmic, we'll say, tragedy, right? God loves his enemies like no one else does. If you ever want to see just how seriously God takes sin, yet at the same time, how seriously and how deeply and profoundly he loves us, then all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus. See, the cross of Jesus shows us just how seriously God takes sin. And that it's our sin, right, that has nailed Jesus to the cross. But then you also see the story of what he is willing to endure for us, that he loves us so much. This is a radical God in that sense, that God is a God who loves his enemies. When will you ever see anyone say that, that I love my enemies? It's something that I, that I came across um, through, through some readings about a month ago, and it was in Ezekiel, and God's saying, I take no delight in the death of the wicked. And that really, that hit me in a great way, where I said, what a God we serve. Who else can say that about the God that they serve? You know, we have all these stories throughout um, even <laughs> popular culture right now and, and Hollywood and everything about always the Savior, right? We see it everywhere. There's these movies where um, we, we're obsessed with this narrative of this someone who's going to come and save everyone and give his life up for the many. You know, in, this, in, the, in, 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 the, in the Marvel series, right, in the Avengers, the end of it, hopefully you've all seen it. I think it's been, I think it's been at least a couple of years. If you, spoiler, yeah, spoiler alert, right? But I think I've been told there's an unwritten rule that you're allowed to, a preacher's allowed to talk about it if it's been like two years. I don't know if that's true or not, so maybe uh, <laughs> I'll be rebuked after. But, but, you know, we know how the story goes, right? At the very end of it, uh, Tony Stark or Iron Man, right? That he willingly lays down his life for his friends in order to defeat Thanos. The idea of a savior is, is constantly being told to us. But almost think of how ridiculous the story would be if Tony Stark died for Thanos? Laid down his life 
to, to save him? That almost that, like, imagine if after all they've been through, all the crazy things that Thanos has said and just how he's just bent on wiping out so many different people, that somehow Tony Stark's heart would, would be softened to his enemy. That'd be weird. We'd probably look in at the movie and be like, what? What is going on here? Like, what an ending. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. Yet, in Mark 15, you have this scene of Jesus while being mocked, abused, spat at, insult after insult, humiliated, and he says, I'm willing to die for these people. I'm willing to go to the cross for all this evil and injustice done to me. And it makes no sense to the people around, right? They're continually mocking him, making fun of him, saying, you've saved others, why can't you save yourself? But they don't realize that Jesus is saving them. You see, it says... In Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And also, in 1 Timothy 2, verses 4 to 6, For everyone who wants to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth, there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. You know, sometimes we say in life that trials, they shape us, that it really reveals who we are and what our character is. That sometimes under the most um, difficult of circumstances, you get to see really who we are. And just look at Jesus on the cross, and all throughout Mark, and in this whole trial. Look at Jesus in this moment of absolute hardship. That you see really who this Jesus is. He's this God who loves everyone, that loves his enemies, and that he's willing to go to the point of death. You see Jesus bearing the pain in full and giving up his life so that he can save others. And that somehow even within this story, there's almost this, this, you see that Jesus is almost mysteriously and divinely in control of everything in it. It's quite interesting when you go through it and you see the response of some of the other, others in it. That even Pilate is looking at Jesus like, who is this guy? What's going on here? And so what about us? What about us when we're going through our own hardships, right? Will we live like Jesus? Will we show that example? That even in our most difficult trials, in our hardships, that instead that that would reveal our faith to the world? That the world would see us as Christians being like our God and our Savior? That we are also willing to give up our own comforts to help others and to love them? Will we be like Jesus in our most difficult times? 
Because the world is watching as well, right? It's watching us to see how we live together, uh, how we live for one another, how we live in this difficult world. And there's so much to say. There's so much more to say about this passage. So much more. But this is why it's important, once again, is that as, as we go through this, it's important for us to show and, and to explain to others about why did Jesus have to die. And, 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 and by doing that, we, we, can, we can tell others about the story of Scripture and we can bring them to this point where we see Jesus on the cross for their sins. And sometimes it is hard to understand. It's, 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 a, it's a challenging message. Sometimes the more that, that I think about it, it's just shrouded in this mystery, right? About why did Jesus have to die for us? Wasn't there another way? You know, a lot of the times when we talk about what, even the cost of sin, when we speak even relationally um, and in our lives, is that there, there is always a cost. If there is a charge or a fee, right, you can't be forgiven unless it's paid. If I have some kind of, I don't know, some device, let's say, let's call this like an iPhone 30 or something like that, right? And if, you know, you need it for some, it does some specific function, and you say, Tim, I need to borrow this phone. I, I say, sure, take it. And then as you're filming your, the next greatest movie, because it can do that, you drop it and it breaks. And you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> that was an expensive phone. The iPhone 30 will probably be like $4,000 at this rate, whenever it comes out. And you come back to me and you say, yeah, sorry about it. Uh, here's your iPhone 30. It's completely broken and in shambles. And I say, well, all right. Uh, I like you. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, I'll take care of it. But what I'm going to have to go do is go back to the store and drop another $4,000 on an iPhone 30 or whatever it is or however how much it costs. Is what I'm saying that even forgiveness, right, that there's always a cost that the forgiver themselves absorbs. So Jesus, he's on the cross, and in this way that he's reconciling our relationship to God, and he takes on the full wrath of God. He dies the death that he shouldn't have died, but that he had to to save us. You know, there's, there's one other thing that, that, I, that I just think of, and I know this is just coming like right off the top, but when Jesus is on the cross, right, and there's two, uh, the, the two criminals who are crucified beside him, do you remember when James and John asked Jesus to be at his left and his right, and he said, you don't know what you're asking for? Sometimes, like, in life, like, we think that following Jesus always means somehow this easy almost trial-free life. But that's not the case. There is a cost. There is a cost to our faith as well. And so, today we're going to be doing communion as well. 
And next week, we're going to be looking, um, continuing the series in, in Mark, where Pastor Dustin will be talking a little bit more about the resurrection, right, and what that means. But I hope I've just left you with some things to reflect on and to think about today, um, about what Jesus did have to endure today in Mark 15, and also and why that he had to die. So at that end, I will pray for us today, and I'll just uh, invite Dustin up. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for us. That this was your mission. That it was you in control, even in the most darkest of circumstances. That you, God, that you went to the cross for us. Thank you that you have restored us. That you have paid the price for our sin. And that you are making us new. That you've given us your spirit. God, that we don't have to live in the ways that we previously did. But God, that you give us a new heart, a new life. And that we eagerly await the day when we are with you in the complete restoration of who we are. Jesus, thank you for redeeming us. Amen.